This week on Making Contact. My t-shirt says on it, I ordered my bride from paulfrank.com. The t-shirt. It could be meaningless, artistic, funny, or even political. A shirt like that, you know, with a statement across the chest, really says what might be on your mind. And there it is where everyone can read it. And you don't have to have it stamped across your forehead. The t-shirt is a staple of the American wardrobe, worn by pretty much everyone. It's a sort of common denominator in a culture marked by differences. On this edition, we'll hear how three t-shirt designers use the garments as a way to fight racism, communicate cultural identity, and mourn friends who've passed away. I'm Tina Rubio, and this is Making Contact, a program connecting people, battle ideas, and important information. In a special collaboration between National Radio Project and the UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism, student producer Jacob Fenston brings us this story. My t-shirt says, I love thrash. <laughs> I heart NY. It's pink, blue, green, orange. It just matches up with my shoes. You know, t-shirts are very egalitarian. You can come from just about any social strata, and a t-shirt is often the most appropriate thing to wear. My shirt says tequila, drink it, lick it, and suck it. The t-shirt is the benefit of living in a free society. I mean, you know, you can say what you will about the electoral process or about, you know, the fairness of our society, but in this country, anyone can wear a t-shirt that says anything. Can you just read your shirt, tell me what it says and what, what it looks like? You want me to read the shirt? If you can... Wait, if you can't hang out with the big dog, stay under the porch. And what this shirt means to me is American pride. It's Osama bin Laden uh, blocking zombie Reagan versus um, uh, Margaret Thatcher. Okay, it's brown and it has a green tree on it. It's supposed to symbolize your growth through God because it's from a church retreat that I went on. It's just like eye-catching and it's so out of pocket. It's, it's almost offensive, you know, and that's why I like it. Uh, it's a uh, orange t-shirt. It has a Puma symbol in the front. What do you think about the brand? I don't really know the brand at all. I just, I just like the color. It says Mommy's Girl. And describe what it looks like. It, it's kind of brown and pinkish. Uh, it's a Warner Brothers shirt. It has the Warner Brothers logo on it. Uh, it's just basically warning you, you know, from the police. Make sure you watch out for them because they always out to get you. And, uh, why do you want to express that on a t-shirt? Because people see it. You know, it's not like you don't have to handle literature. They just remind them, oh yeah, there's Darfur, I forgot. The t-shirt began life sometime in the early 1900s as underwear, skivvies. But then during World War II, some sweaty soldiers stripped off their outer shirts and just went around in their underwear. Some sweaty actors also tried out the new look. No actor in history has ever made such impact in a single role as Marlon Brando. Hey, Stella! And now the humble t-shirt is outerwear, and it's everywhere. But it's not just like a pair of jeans. It's like a walking message. Uh, more like a billboard type thing. It's a way to communicate with someone without talking to them. And maybe that's why t-shirts are so popular. And because they're so popular and so expressive, maybe someone should collect them. I'm Inez Brooks-Myers. She works at the Oakland Museum. And I'm curator of costume and textiles at the Oakland Museum of California. And the museum collects t-shirts, 
going all the way back to the 1950s. It would make a great garage sale, but instead, the museum hangs on to these old hand-me-downs. We are a very diverse group of people. We have very diverse ideas, and I think that T-shirts kind of help get that across. Can you explain to me what you're doing as you do this? I am working with our Argus computerized collections system, and I have put in the word T-shirt, and now it's going to pull up all the T-shirts that we have. So here we go. Oh, this one is slightly outrageous. This was a souvenir from the King Tut exhibition that was held over in San Francisco. And uh, there are two large heads of King Tut strategically placed one over either breast and printed across the chest. It says, don't touch my tuts. You have this in a small? Yes. Ryan Suda is selling t-shirts at some kind of fundraiser. You know what, I don't even know what this, how to pronounce this place. It's, uh... it's somewhere in West Los Angeles, and the place is packed with fashionable young Angelinos. <laughs> they're sipping Merlot or gulping Rolling Rock, and when they're not bidding on paintings or photos, they're buying t-shirts. This is a pretty light show, but I got about maybe six or seven bins uh, that get set up, and... Uh, it's kind of like one of those things that you got to do as a t-shirt guy. This is the, the grind. Go from booth to booth and show to show. Suda runs a company called Black Lava. He's Japanese-American, and the t-shirts he makes are mostly about Asian identity and stereotypes. Like this one. It's a plain black tee, and across the chest it says, Asian is not oriental. I think a lot of um, white, middle-aged, well-intentioned people still say oriental without realizing what they're doing. Some of the shirts make fun of stereotypes. One says in plain white letters, I speak English. What about, what about I suck at math? I suck at math. Well, you'd have to be, it's an Asian stereotype, obviously. Yeah. That's the, a lot of these are. I do kind of suck at math. <laughs> well, I remember. I went to high school with you. Remember? Two friends are looking over the merchandise. They're both white, and they're trying to decide if they could get away with wearing any of the shirts. Racially profiled. I would oh, love to wear this as a white man. <laughs> I would love to wear this as a white man, just like down the street. I mean, what would I be saying? I could walk around like South Central in this. No, but then people might think that you're being like, you're not appreciating the fact that people get racially profiled. But actually, if I were walking around in a non-white neighborhood, I would be racially profiled in a sense. Because they'd be wondering, what the hell's he doing here? Now that we messed up all the t-shirts. We are messing up the t-shirts, too. (laughs) Uh, Right now we're in my warehouse in Torrance, California. That's Ryan Suda again. Inside the warehouse, it's spotless, and the walls are lined with shelves and shelves and like 8,000 t-shirts. No, is it that much? I can't remember. It's a lot. Okay, maybe two or 3,000. But each one is meticulously folded and bagged and placed on the appropriate shelf. It's carefully labeled, all by an army of unpaid workers. Actually, it's Suda's mom. She comes in and folds all the shirts and ships them out, too. No, she doesn't get paid. So it's definitely a family business. Just a few years ago, Suda ran the whole operation out of his apartment, with the shirts all stacked up in his living room. 
Then in 2002, he made a t-shirt that became very popular. That shirt was one of our very first kind of viral shirts where people were like, oh my God, we have to have that shirt. He tapped into some collective anger, which it turns out can be very good for business. It all started when... Back in 2002, Abercrombie & Fitch put out a series of shirts um, with an Asian theme meant to appeal to the Asian people. That's what they said. And these shirts consisted of very stereotypical images, uh, slanty dye, buck tooth type characters. They had this one shirt that said the Wong's Laundry, and they had two like stereotypical characters. And then the, one of the sayings on there was, two Wong's can make it white. The largest uproar came from that shirt in particular. A lot of people were pissed off, you know, and they were protesting in front of Abercrombie and Fitch. And someone had come up to me and said, hey, you know, are you going to make a shirt, you know? And I was like, oh, uh, okay, yeah, I guess so. So I sat down, and then I was like, well, what am I going to do, you know, here? And Abercrombie and Fitch, Abercrombie and Fitch, and I was trying to find something that rhymed with that. And what we came up with was uh, Artful Bigotry and Kitsch. So we did it in the same font as the Abercrombie shirt. And then on the back, I was like, well, you know, I think the best thing to do is to kind of like archive this, you know, because a lot of times stuff like this will happen, but people will kind of forget about it and then move on. But at the same time, I feel like you have to kind of learn from history um, so you it doesn't hopefully doesn't come up again. Um, and it also holds people accountable for what they've done, especially if in Abercrombie's situation didn't apologize. You know, they basically said, we're not racist. We're not trying to offend anyone. You guys just need to grow a personality or a you know, sense of humor. And it has nothing to do with that. I mean, those images were used in a lot of propaganda back during the days when uh, they brought Chinese people in to build the railroads. There's all this history of suppression and racism that surround those images. The entire shirt said Aber Artful Bigotry and Kitsch, Ignorance, Racism, Excuses, 2002. And underneath it said, uh, the struggle still continues. You keep saying you got something for me. What's your most popular shirt? Right now it's the I Will Not Love You Long Time shirt. If you guys don't know about the phrase, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's been in, in media so long that people probably don't even know where it came from. I would not love you long time. The shirt came from a phrase, me so horny, me love you long time, which came from a movie by Stanley Kubrick called Full Metal Jacket, and this was done like in the 80s. It was about the war in Vietnam. They had this scene. Hey, baby! You got girlfriend, Vietnam? Not just this minute. Well, baby, me so horny. Me so horny. Me love you long time. You party? Yeah, we might party. How much? $15? And that's how the scene goes. When it became very popular was a little bit later in the 90s when a group called Two Live Crew took those sound bites and looped it in their song, Me So Horny, and which was a pretty popular song back then um, when I was in high school. Funny, fun, you know, it's just so funny because, like, back then it never dawned on me that it was Asian anything. You know, it was just part of 
back then their their music and we listened to it you know we listened to all their music um but like soon after that and even to this day you know i think a lot of asian women get approached with that very line hey honey will you love me long time oh this is this is kind of nice it's from the California Indian Basket Weavers Gathering that was held in 1997. And it is designed by a Maidu artist. And the motif is a, a basket weave design. Why do basket weavers need a t-shirt, though? I think it might be to raise awareness that Native people, Native, Native Californians, Indians are still here, that they're not part of the past. It's it's just another one of these positive statements, group identity, and you can wear it, and you can move around within um, a city or a state, and you're bringing identity and and this positive statement with you. I think it's it's very interesting. You're listening to Making Contact, a production of the National Radio Project. If you'd like more information or for CD copies of this program, please call 800-529-5736. You can also download programs or get our podcast at radioproject.org. We now return to My T-Shirt Says It All, produced by UC Berkeley journalism graduate student Jacob Fenston. This, I, I am David, this is David Sanchez. We're here in Homie in a Native Graphics uh, print shop. So David, yeah. But I'm going for everything to be done, including the front. How much, what time should I say tonight? What time is now? 4.20, put right it up. Uh, I'm thinking like 1.7. In a tiny print shop, sandwiched between a dance club downstairs and some offices upstairs, David Sanchez is printing a rush order of T-shirts. The ceilings are low and a massive t-shirt dryer is roaring so it's hot. The fumes are strong and floor fans are straining to suck in some fresh air. The shop is in San Francisco's Mission District. It's a neighborhood that's traditionally the center of Latino culture in the Bay Area. And Sanchez, who's the master printer here at Homie. The master printer? Well, I don't have a master. I have a PA on pre-making. Well, anyway, he works at Homie. He's racing to finish this order. And he's getting distracted telling me about some of his t-shirt designs. One of his favorites has a photo of Geronimo, the Apache chief. And then under it, it says, Secretary of Defense. The other one that we did in the same way was the, oh yeah, the original fathers of our nation. We used the images of four native people from the U.S. It was Geronimo, Sitting Bull, uh, Red Cloud, and Chief Joseph. And we used the Mount Rushmore and got rid of those guys and we used the image of these four native people. So because we thought we think that they're the actual original founding fathers of the U.S. Sanchez isn't working by himself. He has two high school interns. After all, the whole point of Homie is to reach out to kids in the neighborhood, keep them off the streets and out of gangs. Instead, they learn to make t-shirts, from using Photoshop and hijacking images off the internet to making silk screens and squeegeeing the ink onto fresh t-shirts. That means because you don't have enough, enough ink on the squeegee. So you just add more ink. I don't know, you want to use the bigger squeegee? Yeah. Yeah? 
the only problem with this one it may be the because it's wider mm -hmm. so you have to put more strain on yeah uh, i'm jordan perez and what i do here is uh, i'm an intern right now i'm designing a uh, i'm making my own design for me what's what's the design that you're working on oh well, right now um there's this road sign like all over the san diego freeways that I refer to as a racist road sign it has three characters on it and they're all running through it like if it was like meant to be for uh immigrants crossing the border so if you don't live in san diego these are big yellow freeway signs near the u.s mexico border like a deer crossing sign but instead of leaping deer it's a running family and i'm, I'm basically making a shirt about that it's just uh, a big triangle like the original road sign color with people running through it uh and uh with the lettering saying we run this what do you think that shirt says or what do you want to say with it when you're wearing it I mean that basically they can't run this country without us because obviously the markets have fruits in their in their stands because of us. Always use this one first. I think it gives them confidence because they see something that they made themselves, and you know nobody nobody did that for them. You know they're proud of it. That's Mauricio Kihara. He also works in Homie's screen printing operation. He started out, just like Jordan, as an intern about 10 years ago. Before that, he was, you know... Uh, you know, banging, you know, doing real bad things, you know, like causing havoc in the community, you know what I'm saying? That's one of the things I was doing when I was young. And when he started interning at Homie, making t-shirts kind of changed his life. I was real good at it, you know. I kind of liked it. I was like, oh, man, this, this is cool. I liked it. You know, I like making shirts. I'm like, oh, this is, this is the way they make it, you know, because I never knew how they do it before, so... And now, you know, I just like doing it and, you know, like teaching other kids too how to do it, so. Another former intern is Rene Quinones. I got involved in Homie. Um, originally, our lives ran parallel. Um, when Homie was being created, I was becoming the thing that Homie was trying to prevent. And the thing they were trying to prevent was kids causing havoc, gangbanging, selling drugs. Now Quinones is Homie's executive director. But when I actively got involved with Homie was when I first came out of prison, about 2003, early 2003, and I was obligated to do community service um, by you know the federal government as part of my plea agreement. Um, I had a hundred hours to do, and I thought that it'd be a cakewalk if I walked into, you know, an organization that I knew people were working in and have them just sign the documents. But I've been here ever since. I'm one of I would say one of Homie's success stories. Do you think you'll want to do some kind of work like this after you finish school? For sure, because um, for me, art is really my way out of school because I'm not really good at any other subjects. Some of our young people have actually been out on, you know, on the block or on the street selling drugs. Um, and so they already have the entrepreneurial skills to be able to make money. What they are doing is they're taking those skills and those hustling skills and applying it to a t-shirt sale where they can't go to jail for selling a t-shirt. And it's not only making shirts, it's like making sure that you're talking to somebody because if you don't, you're not, you're not really going to sell. You buy a t-shirt for $2, you put something on it. After the cost of production, you're looking at maybe about $5. You take that same t-shirt and you sell it for 10 or 15 they call it a double up. Some people call it a keystone, right? It's doubling your money or, or making twice the profit. Um, so for a lot of young folks, that opportunity and that alternative to the street economies is very lucrative and it's been very effective. 
Oh, this this is interesting because um, the T-shirt was actually made in 1979, and it is from the burrito shop, and it was worn to work by someone who had immigrated from Mexico. And so it has yet a different type of story to tell of employment and becoming Americanized. So all of these shirts have some sort of story, and I think that that's what's so nifty. I describe what's on this on the shirts. Um, well, just pictures of him. Yeah. Uh, can I ask what happened to your cousin? Um, to my cousin, he was killed on um, Monday night in West Oakland. When death and pop fashion mix, the result is the Rest in Peace t-shirt. I go by Lloyd. I go by Martin. Artist name is Nautix. I'm over here at Filthy Drip, co-owner. Filthy Drip is a t-shirt shop in Berkeley where they hand paint custom t-shirts. Uh, basically back here I do all the hand painted work and custom work. We also have the airbrush artist back here as well. My name is a Prospect. I'm a 510 airbrush. My partner Lloyd over here, Nautix, and he does all the acrylic of brush painting. A lot of the business comes from rappers who wear t-shirts with their names as a sort of self-promotion. But most of the customers come in with a photo of someone who's passed away, a face they want on a t-shirt with the words, rest in peace. This image right now is a collage of um, someone that just recently passed away. It's all memorial pictures that he has taken with his family and friends. Right now I'm putting on the back of the, the shirt that they're having made. My name is Shauna Green Jasper. I am a funeral director at McNary Morgan Green and Jackson Mortuary in, uh, in Oakland. The demographic that wear the Rest in Peace shirts are um, individuals that are under the age of 30, usually that have died by murder or some type of violent crime. Well, most, of the, most of the people that we do paint, we do these shirts for, the deceased are usually between 15 and 18 that we do. We've done shirts of kids, 15, 16 years old, like the kid that got killed early in the year at the Metreon. You know, he was 15 years old, and the kid that shot him was 15. It's just kind of, kind of crazy. A memorial that they're going to keep. Bulletins or programs from the funeral service get lost. They're thrown away accidentally. They get put in the back of a drawer, and you forget about it. But a T-shirt, usually you put it in a drawer, and you, you remember that you have that, and you, you'll want to wear it again. How much does this one cost? Something back in front like this is going to cost about $80 each. I would say we see rest in peace shirts at least two to three times a month. 80% of our business is based on death, and that includes like the past way musicians that we paint. Death is a big factor of our business. It's kind of, kind of sad to say, but... Yes, we do pretty much see them on every young person who was killed by a violent crime. And is, is that a lot of people here? In Oakland, there are a lot of young people that are dying by violent crime. Unfortunately, we don't get all of those cases, uh, but the ones that we do get, they do end up making the t-shirts for memorials. Finished with all the accents, all, all you have now is just sitting time and drying time and wait for the customer. All stand. Brian Keith Burns Jr. was born September 10, 1983 in Oakland, California to the union of Kim Clark 
Creon Burns Sr. He accepted Christ at a young age. What's your shirt say? Huh? It says rest in peace, Creon. It says rest in peace, Creon. Rest in peace, Creon, man. That's really bad. He it. says rest in peace. Rest in peace, Creon, baby. We love you. He played football and wrestling while his hobbies were drawn. Okay, yeah, I have a shirt on. It says rest in peace, Creon. It's for my little nephew. He was like family and a nice friend, and he loved all of us. This the least we could do is at least have him on on our shirt so we could, he'd be around us every day. You know what I mean? He's going to be around us no matter what, looking down. I don't even really want to talk. Like, like I knew him since I was born. At the time of his death, Creon was residing in Oakland with his mother, brother, and sister. He had been working in the construction business for five years. In his spare time, Creon. It was weird that um I got a phone call from my friend Bobby right here, and he told me about it, and I was like devastated. I didn't even know what was going on. I was just like, what? I thought he was joking with me, you know? I was like, not Creon, you know? Unfortunately, yeah, it was true. I haven't seen him in months. It's, it's sad to see him this way, you know. Creon, that's... There's <laughs> so many stories about it. I got so many memories with that with that guy, but I'm, I'm definitely going to miss him, but yeah. Are you going to have a shirt made? I'm going to buy a shirt. I definitely need one. Uh, I don't have any porches or anything. Father Kim Clark, Father Creon Burns Sr., his three children, Sade, Patience, and Achilles. Two sisters, Latavia. Do you think you'll just wear it today, or are you going to wear it? When this one gets done, I'll make another one. I'm gonna make a jacket with it on it. You know what I'm saying? Just you know, it's something so everybody can see. You know, I went up there, casket was open. I didn't. I ain't trying to remember them like that. I'm trying to remember them like this. You know what I'm saying? The picture. You pick the picture. You pick what you wanted to say. You know what I'm saying? With something like that, you ain't got to say nothing. Everybody knows where you at with it. You know. You ain't got to say nothing. You sure do the talking for you. That's it. Like me personally, I really don't feel like, you know what I'm saying? I'm probably, like he said, I'm probably going to get a t-shirt, but I'm probably going to hang it up. Because, you know what I'm saying? Like with the t-shirts, that should be kind of glorifying, you know what I'm saying? The death and all that type of shit. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's something like a like a bragging thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, man, I got partners that got killed. You know what I'm saying? Some people wearing shirts to people they don't even know, you know? I don't do that. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to walk around with a RIP. This is my partner. This is my close, close friend. You know what I'm saying? I'm, so, you know what I'm saying? I wouldn't even do him like that. You feel me? Like, it's in my heart. You feel me? Like, I feel that shit, You know what I mean? I'm hurting, so I don't even. I might get a tat or something. You feel me? To remind me, RIP, Creon, you know what I'm saying? But I'm not going to do this shirt. You know what I'm saying? Seems like we got to make these shirts too often. You know what I'm saying? There's way too many of them. You look around. We got at least a good 30 of them here. Someone making money, it ain't they fault. You know, at the same time, every corner you hit, you see a shirt with a face on it, you know what I'm saying? It ain't a good look. But that's that's where we live, you know? That's the Bay Area. That's where we stand at right now. And i just like to add, he's not, don't speak of him in past tense. He's still here. And as long as we remember him in every memory, he is with us always, today and tomorrow. God bless you all. In China, following the Tiananmen Square massacre, t-shirts were banned. Wearing one deemed decadent in spirit could get you arrested. In England, a t-shirt reading bollocks to Blair earned one woman a trip to the local police station. And in Michigan, one with a photo of George Bush and the words international terrorist landed a high school student in the principal's office, and eventually a federal court. All over the world, t-shirts are talking and sometimes getting the people wearing them in hot water. But t-shirts say what's on your mind, whether it's terrorism or your favorite brand of tequila or a church retreat you went on. Putting on a t-shirt says something about who you are. Do you have a favorite t-shirt that you wear? I have a t-shirt that I can't bear to throw away, and for the life of me, I have no idea why, because it's really very corny. It's a t-shirt from around 
75 or 76, and it has Raggedy Ann on it in a heart. So it's it's really schmaltzy. <laughs> but I just cannot part with it. It's just one of those funny things. For Making Contact, I'm Jacob Fenston in Berkeley, California. And that is it. We have gone through 172 t-shirts. That's it for this edition of Making Contact. This show has been a special collaboration between National Radio Project and the UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism. Thanks to student producer Jacob Fenston, who wrote and edited this show under the guidance of independent media producer and UC Berkeley J School lecturer, Claire Schoen. Special thanks to Eric K. Arnold and Lady Tragic, and to Dan Turner, Ron Rucker, and the Monday Morning Breakfast crew. For a CD copy of this program, call the National Radio Project at 800-529-5736, or you can get our podcast at radioproject.org. Lisa Redman is our executive director, Andrew Stelser, producer, Puck Lowe, associate producer, Elena Bakken-Levy, and Aubrey Green, interns, and I'm Tina Rubio. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.